0: Welcome to The Little MBA, where we prepare the little MBA in your life for a future in business. In today's episode, we have Maxine Clark, founder of Build-A-Bear Workshop, entrepreneur and philanthropist. Her impressive career has made a profound impact in the field of retail and influence children's lives. With a passion for curiosity and innovation, she has become a driving force in shaping the future of education and empowering young learners. Maxine, welcome to Little MBA. I'm excited that you're joining me here today on this podcast. I'd love to start out with the story behind your experience founding Build-A-Bear Workshop. I've certainly read your book, read your story, know you. We've talked about this before, but I think about this podcast and our listeners who are parents, and ideally, they're bringing their kids along on this journey, listening to these stories as a family to understand more about your career, more about your values. How you really launched Build-A-Bear Workshop. That's
1: a good question, because my background as a child was definitely fulfilled my curious nature, and I was always exposed to things that were different than most of my friends' kids. We are not a family of means. My father was an electrician. My mother worked with children with Down syndrome. So I was exposed also to children who had a special ability. My mother never said kids were disabled. they were differently abled. And so I was very comfortable meeting people that had all kinds of different abilities. And so I was curious about them. happened. I was always asking questions of my mother and say, look it up in the world book or go to the library. I'm so appreciative that my curiosity was encouraged. I was encouraged to go dig deeper. And if Google had been around when I was a child, I would have been so immersed in it, trying to find the answers to the world's problems. As I grew up I- loved school. I hated the summer. I loved being in school with my friends. I loved all aspects of learning. And I was always willing to try everything, be in the band or be in the choir or in the art class. I was always interested in doing different things. And I think a lot of times because I was so willing to volunteer and be part of so many things, people saw me as a leader. And so they treated me as a leader, even though I may not have necessarily thought of myself that way. I was just so curious that people, Maxine will do, she'll sign up, she'll be there. And I was there, and I love taking on all the added responsibilities of what showing up means. And loved school, loved writing. My favorite teacher was my high school journalism teacher, Mrs. Adams. Everybody should have a Mrs. Adams in their life because she did not accept the status quo. In fact, every editor that she ever had, every year you got to reinvent the newspaper other than the name. You could change the logo, you could change everything about it, but you could not change the name. And so it was an incredibly creative experience of taking on a newspaper. We had a weekly edition, so we sold a lot of advertising and we did a lot of work. It was really like a full-time job. I reconnected with her about 40 years after my last class with her, and we ended up having so much more in common as adults than I ever even knew we could have had. I remember my teacher had a fascination with us making things out of nature, my first grade teacher. And so we would go outside and we would collect leaves and pine cones and sticks that we would come back in and use our imagination. I love that. I wanted us to be able to bring that back. And I didn't know exactly what I was going to create when I left my very high-paying, large company job, but I knew it was going to be something for children because I wanted to bring the child out in me again because I felt that corporate America had forced me to be in a sort of a role that they create for you and that especially as a woman, you think you have to fill. And I loved it. I was very successful at it, but I also knew that there was another side of me that I had sublimated for probably the 10 years prior. And one day when I came back to St. Louis, I immersed myself with my friend's kids. I picked them up from school. We go shopping. We go out to Baskin Robbins. And one day we were driving by the toy store in our neighborhood and I saw a sign in the window that said, We have beanie babies. Katie and Jack, my next door neighbors, they were collecting beanie babies. We went in to see if they had them. And of course they didn't because parents took the fun of collecting away from their children. They would troll the stores during the day. And when the kids got home, they would just have them on the table instead of, gee, mom, that was the discovery. Well, we didn't have the one. They didn't have any. And she said, these are so easy. We could make these. She meant go home and do a craft project. And my Willy Wonka head exploded. And I could see we could actually have a store where we could make stuffed animals. She and her brother, Jack, got out all the supplies. And then they came back up and they said, what are you doing? We're waiting for you. And I said, I'm looking up to see if I could buy a business that we could make our own stuffed animals. And a couple months later, when I came back and told her that I couldn't find anybody that wanted to sell me their business, and she said, why don't we do it? And so it's out of the mouths of babes. Those kids actually did keep my kid think on all the time because they always wanted to do something that was more fun. I could see bigger ideas. So I immersed myself. My first board of directors for Build-A-Bear was children. And they gave us so many ideas. Even to this day, they haven't done all the ideas that kids gave us. There's still so many more that are possible. There's a longer story to that, too, because during my career at May Company, I did work on a project called The Land of Oz. Yes, was creating this magical store, gift store for children inside of the department store. was very successful. That always was something I was proud of. Build-A-Bear became that sort of Land of Oz, this great place where kids could go and have a great experience, a different one every time. And their parents would have fun, too. And it would be a memory that they were creating at the same time they were having an experience. And it sounded like a major idea of kids. Or you can remember yourself when you're a child, you know that hands-on experiential learning is important to answering their questions or helping them find the answers to their questions. Every question that even a customer asks you in a business, there's an opportunity for a wow experience, a wow moment, because most people don't ignore what the customer says. But we never did a -a Build-A-Bear. We built that into our system to be thinking about what the customer wants. And that was always some golden moment of an opportunity for us to expand that idea that the customer gave us. That's a long story, but it was all about my childhood and trying to bring back those things that were good about childhood so kids could still be creative, even in the time of computers.
0: Definitely. Many of those experiences have to do with creating a foundation based on your values and curiosity, learning agility, discovery, hands on experiences. Build a Bear Workshop is certainly known for its unique and interactive retail experience. A question. From the little MBA in my life, what inspired you to include the heart as part of the experience? We certainly know Build-A-Bear is a company with heart.
1: Yeah, thank you for that question, because the heart of Build-A-Bear is the heart. But actually, I didn't have every idea the summer before we opened up Build-A-Bear. I was visiting with my friends at a barbecue nearby, and my friend Sarah Russell, who was an artist, and she was just so creative. She was hugging one of our bears, and she said, Maxine, these bears should have a heart. And she went and she got a piece of paper, and she started sketching designs for the hearts. Not a heart shape, but with a print on it with all different hearts. And so that night, I faxed that overseas to our factory, and they sent me a whole bunch of pictures of materials that they had available We ordered as many bears as we had in the warehouse or as many stuffed animals. I'd say we had 50,000. We ordered 50,000 hearts. And they came in and we opened the store and we had a a part-time. So Jeff Marks, who was a teacher, I came into the store one day because the store told us they were running out of hearts. And I thought, how is that possible? Because we bought one for every bear. There were still thousands in the warehouse. She said, come over and see. And I came over to the store that afternoon and Jeff had created this ceremony for putting the heart in the bear. If parents were there or a sister and brother were there, they all got to put a heart in the bear. Some bears left with 10 hearts. There was a party of 10 friends. They had 10 hearts in it. And it was such a wonderful thing. I was so excited about it. But we were really running out of hearts. But I didn't want to stop that process because it was so magical. And everybody was sitting there kissing their heart, rubbing it, and putting the extra heart in the bear. So we just scrambled. We went out, the whole team of us, we went all over trying to find hearts at the craft store. And just anything we could fill that void with. And of course, we ordered many thousands more, but they were going to take a few days to get to us. And we flew them all in. Luckily, they were lightweight. But it was the idea of my friend Sarah and the experience mentality of Jeff Marks. And he, I always credit him with it. It was a wonderful thing that he did for us. And then all the stores started adding on. And if you want to be left-handed, put it on your left elbow. If you want it to be extra smart, rub it more. A few more minutes on your brain. And you want to hear everybody's conversations put it on your ear. People were coming up with all kinds of ideas and that's how it happened. The magic wasn't me. The magic was the platform that I created that allowed other people to think and their child think and to come up with fun ways to
0: make build a an even more memorable experience. When you think about the culture that you have created along the way, what elements have been most important in the organization?
1: I would say the most important always are the people and the relationships that you build with people. So that they can grow in their jobs and their personal life, they can grow in their connections to their community, and sharing that with others just makes the world a better place. I was never shy about the way I wanted to run the company. I'm not a particularly formal person. Rarely was a door closed; it was always open. Anybody needed to talk to me, but still, there's always barriers that people build up. They bring from their other life experience that oh, the boss doesn't want to hear about this or. We don't want to tell the boss that. I was the chief executive bear. I had been the CEO before. I didn't want to be that anymore. I wanted to be the chief executive bear. And we gave everybody sort of fun titles so that they wouldn't take themselves so seriously that what we were in the business of is creating experiences. Yes, we designed teddy bears and bunny rabbits and all those things, but that's not really what we were known for. We're really known for the experience that we created in the store, and we would have to have that similar experience in the work environment where people could be themselves or even be parts of themselves they forgot about, that they had to dig deep into the insides and remember when they were a child and remember some fun things. Every Monday, we would have a shake and howdy, and everybody would tell us their story, and we'd pull a question out of the hat, some silly question that you had to answer. If you were an ice cream, what flavor would you be? Or if you were a zoo animal, which zoo animal you'd be? And you'd find out a lot about people. And everybody then got to hear everybody's name, and they'd see a familiar face in the hallway, and now they had a name to put around it. We didn't want anybody to feel, even as we were growing, to be a big central office. We didn't want people to not know each other. That was one of my greatest fears. I didn't want to have so many people that I wouldn't be able to know everybody's name and everybody's story. And that was something that I think is important in our business. Our our store managers know their customers that are frequent customers. They know their name. They look forward to them. In fact, I was visiting the Galleria the other day, and I asked that one of the managers there, if anybody had seen Miss Lynn, who was one of our customers, an older woman who used to come to the mall all the time, maybe to cool off, maybe to just shop around. No matter what day I went in there, she was always coming in to visit. You heard If they knew I I was coming, they would tell Miss Lynn. And so they said, oh yeah, she was just here two days ago. And I said, well, please tell her hello for me. And that's 25 years of Miss Lynn coming to the store. She loved Build-A-Bear and she's an older woman and she always wanted the new thing that came out. And she was just a wonderful customer. She made me smile. I know I made her smile. And our store people made her smile. It's hard to explain because it's such an emotional business. And each child is different. And each adult in the process of two parents come in with their two children. It might be one experience for one of the children. Another experience for the mother's crying. The father's mad that it's costing so much money. There's all kinds of things going on. But it's part of the fun of it. And I don't go anywhere. The grocery store, the drugstore, the ballpark, where somebody doesn't stop me and tell me a story about their Build-A-Bear experience. And that alone keeps me going. It's an amazing thing. It is part of my values. I've always was was taught to treat everyone as if they were special. And you want to get that back if you give what you want to get. And so I've been fortunate to be able to have had a lot of wonderful relationships with people. And even more so with, and the other day I was in a -A Build-A-Bear store. And this young woman came up to me who works there. And she said, I was a customer and you signed my bear for me. She's 25 now. So that was a long time ago. And she said, you signed my bear for me. I'll never forget. It, that's like the full circle. When people come to your business and then they want to work for your business, the joy of Build-A-Bear will never end. But I've also been able to use the success of Build-A-Bear to engage in other parts of the community life to spread that teddy bear hug in other ways too, because that's really what the magic is. You can hug your teddy bear. You can tell him all your secrets. He's never going to share them with anybody else. And the teddy bear is the quintessential stuffed animal. It could be your puppy dog or your bunny rabbit or your frog. You can have the wildest imagination possible. And your stuffed animal will not judge you for sure.
0: You have had so many amazing experiences because of Build-A-Bear Workshop. What is it that most surprised you about becoming a founder and building the company?
1: Every day was a wonderful day. Even in the tough business times, you're learning how to handle them. I think the hardest thing is really how do you keep a big company together that you keep it small, even though it's growing big? And you have stores all over the world. I think one of the reasons that it is still such a connected company is that was just part of our heritage. Just to know that it's still going so strong as such a strong brand and that the people that have inherited the brand have actually made it even better. That's the best part. That I didn't have to be there every day to say this is how you have to do it and this is how it's supposed to be. All the things that it always was and more.
0: That's incredible. I know that getting back to the community is important to you. What are the ways in being the founder of Build a Bear Workshop and now launching Delmer Divine that you have been able to give back and support the community?
1: Build a Bear was a very successful company. And because I was a very large investor in my own company and was able to reinvest every time we took on more investors, and our wealth came from children all over the country and their families who decided to bring those children to Build a Bear. What I wanted to do was give back to those children to make sure that they would be able to have the best that our community could offer. I want those kids to be proud of those assets that exist in their community. We have 16,000 nonprofits. And I found the Delmar Divine Building, which was the former St. Luke's Hospital. And I'm a history nut too. So I had to dig in and find out the history of this place. Is was in a neighborhood where I just opened a KIPP school that I was working. I was the board chair at the time. And one of the neighbors just asked me to turn right. So I turned right that day and they were nailing the for sale sign in. And I thought, oh my gosh, we've just opened a school in this neighborhood just a few blocks away. What's going to happen when this building falls apart? And I called my friend, Dennis Lauer, and I said, Dennis, why don't you buy this and turn it into Cortex West? And he said, oh, we're so busy. We have so much land. Why don't you do it? And I said, okay, why not? So I started to look into what I could do to buy it. And I'm not a developer. I'm a retail merchandiser. I know how to put things together, but this was a different experience. This stretched me in a way that I had never anticipated And I am so glad I did because now I'm also helping other developers learn from my mistakes. There weren't major mistakes that you can see, but I know they're there. And things I just didn't know, the developers and real estate developers are a tight world. They don't want anybody else to get a piece of the pie. And I created this space for people to have a lot of space. It's half of a mole, 500,000 square feet. We have offices for nonprofits. So third are education, a third are healthcare, and a third are community development. And all of them are now working together, which is interesting. We built apartments for teachers, nurses, social workers, public health, public safety, those people that work to support the community, especially the safety net part of the community. And they wanted a cool place to live that was affordable. And we were able to do that. And then we also brought needed retail services to the community. We didn't have a bank in this neighborhood. We didn't have a pharmacy or an urgent care. We didn't have a rest. So we now have all those things and they're all really doing incredibly well and the neighborhood is really appreciative of those services now right across the street or around the corner. They'd have to go so far away. And in the study of this neighborhood, I also found out that the people that live in the zip codes actually in 2019 spent $1, billion, one with a B, billion dollars in other zip codes because there was nothing for them to buy. So when people think that, oh, there's no money there, there's no business there, they have to buy food, they have to buy clothes, they have to buy furniture, where are they going to go to get it? And it's another part of the economic divide that we have is that it keeps staying that way because when people look at the numbers, they don't see that money being spent there. They say, there's no business there. Guess what? There's no place to do the business. Us bringing in these tenants and now working in the neighborhood to to build more. This way, I'm hugging a neighborhood. I tell you for sure, Julie, when I went to school visits, when I first started Build-A-Bear, and I asked kids in North County, did they have a teddy bear or a stuffed animal? No. I brought one with me, of course, for every child. And now when I go to schools, and I asked kids, most of them have brought their bear to show me that they have a bear. And it's not because they got one for free. It's because they want to make their own bear for their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their grandma. And that, to me, is the other part of the economic difference that we made. People spent their money with us and they got a best friend in return. And that really means a lot to me. The heart of Build-A-Bear lives on in different ways in giving back to the community and mentoring young people and mentoring entrepreneurs. Because I didn't necessarily have that. There were no women entrepreneurs when I started out. And there weren't any in St. Louis that I knew of. And they weren't jumping to help me if they were there. And most people thought, oh, this will never work. Who wants to make their own stuffed animal? Bankers weren't that helpful either. But it's fun when you can prove them all wrong. And then you can give back to the community and say, see, we did it, and we did even more than we intended to do. And so that, for me, is joyful work. Every day I come in here and I'm humming Mr. Rogers, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood because it is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We're so lucky to be part of this future.
0: Absolutely. One of the questions I was going to ask you was the worst piece of advice you ever received and maybe had to do with some of the early on in your entrepreneurial journey. You have to listen to what people say to you and take it for what you think it's worth. And you put it in your bank
1: of comments that people have given you and you sort through it. And fortunately for me, I had so many kid friends. When I asked adults, what do you think about building? They said, well, would want to make their own stuffed animal. But when I asked a child, they had never seen a Build-A-Bear store. But they would say, oh, we can make giraffes and we can make dinosaurs and we can make fish and we can make sharks and we can make all these things. They immediately got it. So I knew we had a success on our hands before we even opened the doors because it was four kids. They only wanted to give me more ideas. So that was a signal. And I think that's true in any business. If you know your target audience and you're talking to them, they'll give you a lot more information than you might think you need, but you may not need it tomorrow, but you might need it next week. Put those in the bank of ideas that your customers or people gave you honest, unprejudiced, unbiased feedback in the beginning. It was just amazing what people told us. And we still live on those ideas today.
0: That's terrific. What is your strategy for learning and how do you stay on top of all of these ideas and perhaps keep them categorized and organized so you can pull them out from your bank in the future?
1: My brain works on a million cylinders and I'm not saying that I am a particularly organized person. I love to read. I read all kinds of magazines and articles and a lot of them are on retail, a lot of them are on philanthropy, a lot of them are on the social condition of our country, economic issues that we face and the lack of diversity in our workforce and all kinds of things. I read things that will help me be better and I don't necessarily have to go act on them tomorrow, but it's in my brain. And I share a lot of those articles with others as well that I think would be interested. People that I had a conversation with recently, somebody that I think knows that this is a common interest and I love doing that. I think the sharing part is really important because people said, how do you have time to do that? How did you have time to send me the article? I said, how long does it take? A second? I click on it and send it to you? Like, how hard is it to do something that you think might make somebody's day? And I don't do it for that reason. I just do it because I know I would want them to share with me. So I love learning. I love being engaged. When I know something's broken, a problem that exists in our society, I want to gather people around the table that can fix it and then say, okay, what do we have to do? The six of us or the 10 of us or the 50 of us what can we do? Let's stop complaining about it. Let's fix it. And a lot of times you find people just want to complain about it. They don't really have an idea. And they say, well, that'll never work. And then those are the people you eliminate from the table conversation because they're not going to get you anywhere. You have to have people that believe in the future. Even if they live in one of the worst neighborhoods, they believe in a better future. And they're the ones to ask. And they can tell you exactly how they think it should look. And I'm trying to get other people to think about that. Using that technique of children like we did at Build-A-Bear with our board of directors, or cub advisors, as we call them. What do kids think we need? If you could design your neighborhood from scratch, what would it look like? They'd get out their Legos and show you where the park should be. They aren't biased by all the things we know that are expensive, or we know that that's a different, that's a one way street. We can't change it. They would be asking all the whys. We need young people who aren't afraid to ask questions. And so, as a parent, I encourage you, I know your kids probably have a zillion questions because you're both really smart and your children grow up in your household. But I would say that what's really important is to indulge children in their imagination. I have a quote at home that says, if you can live your imagination, your life will be a dream come true. You've probably heard me quote that many times in our relationship. But to me, that's true. In that imagination, whether they live in one of the poorest neighborhoods or the richest is where the future is for our country, for our city. And we have to be helping them feel good to tell us about it. Give us those ideas. Tell us about it. And then give credit. I meet so many young entrepreneurs. It's, it's amazing how I never thought about what an entrepreneur was when I was their age. I meet kids that are running in their school for student council and they are just amazing young people. And they have a lot more savvy than I had at their age. That's for sure. Because of technology, because of news, because of everything that they can see and hear. But I still think that we need to indulge their childhood a little bit more, their childness, not their childishness, but their childish. and listen to them because they are not jaded yet. And I don't want to jade them at all, but they will eventually be more practical.
0: Absolutely. So it's like surrounding yourself with the five people you aspire to be and that are going to help you grow. You're an executive, a philanthropist, a founder, an entrepreneur. You have so many different titles. What is a skill that you wish that you had developed earlier in your career? I think I
1: inherited this from my parents, but I wish I was a little more organized. Meaning you probably remember my desk and my desk today looks exactly like that. And I know where every single thing is, but I wish that it wasn't that way. I wish and you say, well, if you wish it, you could change it. But honestly, I'll clean it off. And then the next week it'll have all those different piles, but the same thing. I think that's an important skill to give kids, not to so much put them in a box so that they're always so neat and tidy, but they do have a way to organize their things so that they can not waste valuable time finding them. My husband is very neat. And we have two different closets, and we have two different bathrooms, and we're allowed to have that. But it would have been a big help to me to get even more done in my life, and I had been a little bit more organized.
0: Executive functioning skills are certainly important, both to the children and adults And one of those skills that's helpful to learn earlier. I don't
1: think you're ever too old to learn any new skill, but I don't think that's the way I would want to spend my time. But I know that I could have been more productive if you add up all the hours that I've spent looking for something. And I have a lot of organization. I do. I have a lot of systems. My husband was in the organizing business. I would say that I'm best when I can just lay it out here on my desk and find it. When I'll write a note on a piece of paper, and then I have to look for the paper. I have to be able to read my writing. That's the other challenge. I used to have perfect handwriting, but I'll scratch down something I want to remember. And then I go, what did I say to myself there in the scheme of life? We can also be overly organized or overly focused on the real agenda all the time, and I don't always have the agenda. And I think people are so busy and so focused, they don't sometimes take the time to just enjoy that person across the table from you that you don't know and get to know them better. And that's one of the things my husband and I are both good at. We have so many friends from so many walks of life because we took the time either individually or together to get to know them as people, not necessarily for that business meeting that we had to start that introduced us, but that we wanted to know more about them. I feel like I have been able to have so many relationships because I let them come into my life. I don't think of it as clutter, but be part of the clutter in my life that the millions of friends that I can call on when I need something or ask their advice on something or just say, how are you doing today? And you would be one of those people. We don't see each other because you're a busy mom, but you're one of those really smart people that I've always enjoyed getting to know. And we've had some really wonderful conversations over the years.
0: Absolutely. And likewise, I respect you so much and think so highly of you. I'm so pleased when I'm able to see you and even face-to-face on this Zoom meeting today is so meaningful. I know you are such a busy person. As a founder, leader, philanthropist, what does your average day look like? So if somebody says, when I grow up, I want to be like Maxine Poirier. Do you wake up at a certain time of day? Do you go to bed at the same time every day? Do you have certain things that you say, I'm setting my intention for the day or morning routine? use a calendar every
1: day. Look, I print one out at the beginning of the week. That gives me the whole week so I know what I'm doing. And then if I'm going to a lunch meeting or a dinner meeting, color code that. I usually get up around six o'clock in the morning and I am out of the house by 730 on my way to a meeting or to the office. I try to go to bed around one day, maybe going to a school, to a board meeting because I fill it up. Because I'll say to somebody who calls me and says, I need your advice. And I have a half an hour time and I'll I'll fill them in. And I shouldn't do that. But I know that they need somebody to talk to right now or in the next few days. I don't regret it. But I sometimes, even today, even though I'm not running a business per se, like I was at Build-A-Bear, I still get here at 4 to 8. I leave at 6.30. I live really close so I can get home in 10 minutes at the most. Every day is different. Tomorrow will be a lot of meetings with mostly young people entrepreneurs in our community or people who are nonprofit executives, helping them connect to something that will help them get where they want to go. I don't have to do it. I might know somebody who could connect them. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts I have at this point in my life is lots of connections.
0: So important to be a connector. And if that one introduction can help somebody accelerate their goals, change their trajectory, improve their life, To me, that is the epitome of meaning and happiness. So I absolutely agree with you. So what is best advice that you have ever received?
1: I think people always thought that I was doing too much or I was too spread out. They had to have an assessment. She needs to be more focused. But actually, I think that when people tell me that, I realize that my world is just so much bigger and more wonderful than theirs. Like, okay, thank you. That's kind of a long time ago. I was in the ladies room and one of the women by May Company was talking to somebody else and she didn't know I was in there. And she was telling this young person that she was talking to that she, I just want to tell you because I made this mistake. All the years that I've been working, I spent a lot of time on my work and I spent a lot of time with my children and I forgot to build the relationship with my husband. And she said to this young person, don't forget that your husband should be your best friend and that you have to have time together. And so I've always remembered that. That was really good advice. And I think I've used that also with other relationships. You have to have sort of balance in your life. And I've seen you out to dinner with your husband on a date night. So I know that it's really important because when the kids grow up, and what do you have? I admire people that have been able to be married a long time, but mostly they've been able to be good friends a long time and they've been able to contribute to each other's life. And so they're one plus one equals a thousand and instead of just their own family. They've had a lot of impact on others because they've been able to find things through their life that are in common. That's one of the other things that she added to the conversation. Even if you don't like to go fishing, you might find out that you like it. It's really true. I think that was really great life advice, not just for my future marriage that I didn't know I would have at that time.
0: That is such important advice, and it's actually quite timely. I was just in a meeting where somebody was sharing with me that I should be a speaker, in partnership with a gifted educator at an upcoming conference. And I said, oh, wow, I need to call the teacher right away, see if she wants to be a speaker with me. This would be fantastic. What a great opportunity. I'm super excited about it. But I first called my husband. I said, is that the same week that we are on a cruise? (laughs) And of course it is, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: but you can do it another time. Last night I was at the baseball game and I met this person I did not know. And she said to me, she actually worked in the special school district for many years. And she said, oh, I used to know this woman that worked at Build-A-Bear, Cindy. She was the store manager. I said, oh, Cindy Scanlon, she's still there. And she said, yes, she was amazing. She had a daughter who had a hearing challenge, and she used every resource that we had. And her daughter was brilliant. And she excelled in school, and she graduated with honors, and she obviously was a gifted gold Girl Scout. I knew all this. So we had this in common was this child that they had worked together, a parent and a teacher, together to give her all the resources that she needed to be successful and now i said to her cindy jennifer has a son and a daughter and she's thriving as a mom and she's thriving a community citizen and she said well, that is the best news she says how do i get in touch with her and i said email me tomorrow i gave her my card and i said i'll connect you to jennifer those relationships where you can work with another person to make something better for your children or somebody else's child or your neighborhood or whatever it's really fun and so i would encourage you to do that i've done that i'm doing one in october with one of the people who helped us finance this building. We're going out on the road and telling our story, how we work together to make this building into something really special. And we've been done rehearsing already because we both talk a lot. And how do you get the financial side and the heart side out in the story? So people realize you can't have one without the other. It won't be successful. It's just a building. It has to have a building with a purpose, a connection and people. I encourage you to do that. There'll be many opportunities, but those kind of collaborations are fun also. Because you come out really knowing so much more than you went into it. I also believe, like you do, that every single child is gifted. And I wish that we had an education system in our country, a public education system that realized that if we help them find what they're really good at and teach them around their strengths and so that they can actually use that as their superpower. And then the things that they might not be so good at if they're not athletic or they're not musical, it's no big deal. They find something else that helps them um, find that joy in their life. And so I have always believed that because I remember taking the test in third grade for gifted education in my school. I remember the teacher told my mother I missed it by one point. I was so upset about it because I had so many curiosities. They went off to these special projects for a couple of days a week and I wanted to be in the room where it happens. I found my own way to do it, but I remember the feeling of that so I always thought that every child should be gifted and that teachers should be giving them all the things that they need to fuel their heart and their brain at the same time. There's so many books now that Absolutely. we didn't have when we were kids. There's so many toys. There's so many learning devices. So I applaud you for working in that field. And I'd love to talk to you more about that when we have some time. We can just have a cup of coffee or have a bagel here just, at the Deli Divine. Just, You've obviously discovered a whole new world out there, maybe by necessity, but you seem joyful about The journey. And I think that's really important because with somebody with your mom skills and brain skills and organization skills, boy, you could probably help revolutionize the system. And I know that there are entrepreneurs out there that would love to meet you that probably are working in that field and they just haven't met a mother like you who's the entrepreneur who knows the challenges that children face in society and also knows what it's like to have gifted children with different abilities. And so how do you get them functioning at their best? Having their most fun and their best life and using everything that they have and then helping other parents there are lots of parents out there who don't know how to navigate the system and you could help them dramatically boy would there be a lot of joy in it you
0: know the story but it started with the kitchen trash cans so boys we need a water play activity and today you're going to clean the three trash cans that are in our kitchen so i brought them outside they said mom who knew that cleaning kitchen trash cans was so fun I started engaging them in questions. What if you cleaned every trash can on the entire block? What if you charged a dollar for every trash can? I tried to talk about what it means to them and what it meant if this were a little business. My kids didn't want to read about the bear going to the park. They wanted to know how to start a business, how to become YouTubers, how to understand what careers are out there. It
1: Doesn't surprise me. I mean, you and your husband are both so smart and they have a lot of curiosities. And it's fun for you too to think it's of very different. fun.
0: And so I've had this whole whiteboard going with all of these projects listed out because I was 60 to 80 hours a week while needing to engage them. The only person that gave me grace at the entire school was the gifted educator who has become a close friend. And we started having conversations because I said how can I engage my kids in a more experiential, hands on way and of asking those questions? Have they like to read. One of them loves to read. He's an avid reader. He's actually going to be starting a YouTube channel. Oh, because- wow. Yeah. He loves flags and countries and their capitals and their languages, and their culture. So we've talked about him starting his own YouTube channel, but we're not quite there yet. So I'll keep you posted. Definitely
1: link me up to it. I love that. I think kids have so many ideas and then. We adults would also like it because it would be something we could understand. And they would be telling us like we should have learned it in school and sort of like how we did learn it because they have a new way of uh, still subscribe to the National Geographic because I love what they tell you in that magazine. It's, I can't even throw them away. They're so beautiful. I have a stack of National Geographic. Bob said, so we're taking them to the library. We're going to give them to the library. I said, but there's just so many things to discover in the world and to, for them to find their passion. But I really would love to encourage you to think about how you might help minority mothers who have these same opportunities with their children, who don't realize it's just the trash can. They think they have to go out and spend some incredible money in order to do this, but know how they could do it. These are like really good lessons that I hope you've written down because I think we could package them in a way that everybody could understand it. Absolutely. There's All sorts there. of adventures like that to discover. I'm so proud of you. I think what you're doing is amazing. I love the idea of the podcast. I love how you're always thinking about, not so much reinventing yourself, but adding on a new experience.
0: I'm so passionate about this that I really do believe in pivoting where the desire and the passion takes you, making a bigger impact. Even an executive search, right? There's only one person at the end of the day that's going to get the job, but how can I be helpful to every single person that I meet along the way? And it's amazing how many times those people come up again in your life. And my husband actually said to me, I think that pretty much every person you've ever interacted with owes you a favor. So when I needed to figure out how to navigate something, I had a number of people that I called on and had no idea that they would be able to help me so much. I'd love this world to be changed that it wasn't looked at as a disability
1: That we looked at kids and people with challenges that were just different abilities. Like they obviously have an ability. They might have one less foot than somebody else has, but they have their hearing is enhanced or their vision is enhanced, or there's so many other
0: things. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to others who want to follow in your footsteps? And where can our listeners? Learn more about your work
1: with the Delmar Divine. That's www.delmardivine.com. And there's a ton of information about our mission, our tenants, our location, and articles that have been written about us. The others that I would give people is to be curious, to ask questions, to not be afraid to ask a question. And if you're afraid to raise your hand in a room where there's a lot of people, try to go up to the person afterwards or get their contact information and then send them a follow-up. Also to stay connected to people that you, you might, may have met them in college and you'll never, you think, oh, I don't need that card or I don't need that anymore, but put it in some kind of a file system that you have so that you could follow up. So if you see something about them in the future, say we met when I was in college. I get so many of those and they warm my heart that number one, that somebody remembered you. Number two, that you had an impact on them. And so you don't ever know, you think you're a nobody sitting in the audience, but you're not, you're somebody and you have a lot to contribute. And whether that question that you're going to ask is probably on 60 other people's minds, but they're afraid to ask it. Be curious, ask questions, network, meet with people. Sometimes you may think, oh, what can they do for me? They maybe can't do anything for you, but you can do something for them that leads you on to something else. And I feel like I'm preaching to the choir when I talk to you about that, because I know that's one of your special talents. But I think it's something that everybody can do. It's not impossible. Find the things that interest you in our community and show up. So I think that there's lots of things to discover wherever people live that are listening to your podcast to discover with your family, to discover with your friends. No one thinks you're stupid because you asked a question. And I think that's the best advice I was ever given. My third grade teacher wrote in my report card that I asked too many questions. And my mother, it's the only time I know she ever went to school to defend me because she thought she's only nine years old. She has a lot of questions. How can you not ask her to raise her hand? I'll never forget my mother defending me on that. She didn't do that much, but that was one of them. So I've never been afraid to ask the question since.
0: Absolutely love that. Great advice. Thank you, Maxine. It's incredible to see you as always, and let's get together soon. You're welcome. Subscribe to our podcast and social media channels And as extra credit, if you feel so inclined, give us a thumbs up or share our episode on social media channels at the Little MBA.